We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen here with John McKechnie. It is Wednesday, November 13th, as we look ahead to week 12 in college football. John, we got a new sponsor. Uh, somehow we just keep losing sponsors week to week. Yeah, and we're yet we found money right now. And I feel like each week we kind of find a better sponsor. So sorry, Tack Glasses. Sorry, Force Factor. Sorry, Nugenics, uh, which we'll discuss later, believe me. Um, but this week we got Big Dogs. This is a brand that I know you've supported personally. Uh, it's kind of like your Nike in a lot of ways. If so. you're not familiar with Big Dog shirts, check out their Twitter account. Just search Big Dog Clothing. I know it's kind of a weird thing to search, but trust me, well worth it. Um, fantastic items. I know you were just showing me uh, one of their new uh, additions to the website. Um, 
if you want to tell me about that, tell the listeners about that, uh, feel free. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm a big brand ambassador of big dogs in general. Um, I have a shirt that says Garth Barks on it. I have a shirt that's a callback to the classic Budweiser advertisement, the Waza one from the Hilarious. late 90s. Always it's got funny. several dogs just yelling Waza on the back of my shirt. So I feel really powerful when I'm in public uh, wearing that. But I notice that on the uh, on the front page of the of the big dog site, they have a shirt uh, with the print on the front. So this is already uh, un you know uncharted territory for big dog. Usually the message is on the back. It just says, "I love it when my wife lets me watch football." So it's Man. a powerful shirt, and I think That's we funny. can all get behind it. And it also has like a John Elway looking dog with a leather helmet on it. So it's got all the elements that you could possibly want. That's an incredible shirt. Um, I mean, this is what comedy looks like, guys. You know, I know <laughs> in 2019, you know, it's it's there are certain things that are kind of out of bounds. Comedy, shells, comedy is often under siege, but you go to Big Dog Shirts and browse those, and that is what comedy is supposed to be. You can use our promo code, my wife, um, for 30% off Big Dog Shirts. So give that a try. I mean, honestly, there's a decent chance that might work if you just try it. Like, it's not a real promo code, but I feel like if they did give out a promo code, it would probably be some variation of that. So. We can't guarantee that it'll work, but I think you should at least give it a try. There, if you're just throwing in a random promo code, just seeing what sticks, like that, that has a definitely higher odds than a lot of other random ones there. So, like even better than just like mm-hmm. promo code dog, I think promo code my wife yeah. on bigdogs.com would would work actually mm-hmm. better than better than anything else. Yeah, like I said, we'll talk uh, eugenics later. There's an awesome Frank Thomas uh, post earlier um, where he looked to be celebrating his like anniversary with his wife, and somehow turned it into a eugenics ad, which was pretty awesome. Goals. Um, it's just kind of good to see you know people like that living the lifestyle. Uh, but first, let's talk about the second college football playoff rankings, which were released last night. These were released on a normal television set. They were not released from the bowels of MSG during a college <laughs> basketball game. Unsurprisingly, we have LSU. At number one, we have Ohio State at number two. Clemson jumps all the way up to number three. The Georgia Bulldogs out of the SEC East are number four. Alabama five, uh, Oregon six, Utah seven. And then the Minnesota Gophers, who were absolutely disrespected mm-hmm. in the first edition of these rankings last week. They get a huge home win. Uh, it ended up being a close game, but it still felt convincing. They outplayed Penn State really from the start of that game. Um, and they move up now to number eight. And like we said last week, whether you want to believe in them or not, like Minnesota now firmly controls its own destiny. And if they, if they win out, they're going to be in the college football playoff. Um, you know, certainly their schedule has been backloaded and they have tough games ahead. But I, I think this is in really the first time in a while you can remember one team, uh, you know, not to start with the eighth ranked team here, but one team changing its entire perception based on one game. I mean, no, you, you were hard pressed to find anyone who was really beating the drum for this Minnesota team. We were joking about it. Most people were joking about it. The schedule was so soft. They were terrible against non-conference teams. Um, you know, I think they won three non-conference games by 15 points, mm-hmm. you know, most of those at home. And then to beat uh, you know, Penn State soundly, you know, a Penn State team that had logged some really nice wins and you know, I think it kind of looked like we were moving towards a, a Penn State or Ohio State in the playoff. Um, you know, Minnesota, in a lot of ways, has kind of virtually eliminated Penn State now from this discussion. And I hate to admit it, they're they're the one team that I really just can't stand as a rival of Wisconsin. Um, I, the one coach I can't stand is P.J. Fleck. I hate everything that he's about. <laughs> oh, no. I hate the rah-rah stuff. Like I've, <laughs> In any sport, it's not just him. Just that style of coaching is the worst of the worst. And 
I have to eat crow. It's working, and Minnesota is probably going to beat Wisconsin in a couple weeks here. Gosh, and I can't believe it's who, come to this. Hopefully, Ohio State takes care of business. That's all I have to say. And yeah. that's an insane sentence that I'm that I'm saying that I'm now rooting for Ohio State. Yeah, I, th- I think you bring up a good point in the sense that um, a, a one game changing the the national pers- perspective and uh, especially the college football uh, playoff committee's perception of a given team. Because yeah, usually. It's a pretty clear cut um, path to to getting to this point. You know, if you're one of those kind of viewed as a top ten program, uh, you'll you'll have your chances along the way here. It, it doesn't usually wait until like mid November for you to really get your shot to like prove yourself. But the way the schedule set up for for Minnesota, it just set up beautifully. And it really was fair to wonder what was going to happen last Saturday going in because Penn State, and I also want to hold the Penn State people accountable in the sense that it not, I'm not going crazy here, I swear, but like the, the people saying that Penn State, oh, I wasn't sold on them. No, Who no, wasn't no, sold no. On them? yeah. I don't know how you couldn't have been like they had several good ranked wins and everyone else that they played that wasn't ranked. They pretty much just absolutely dominated. So I don't want anyone to backtrack off of that to try to make like that, like that win or by Minnesota was any less impressive. I thought that was extremely impressive and extremely thorough victory. One that was, like you said, uh, probably a little bit more of a definitive win for Minnesota than the scoreboard might initially suggest. So really, really strong stuff from Minnesota. They have a legitimate uh, passing offense. T- uh, Tanner Morgan, uh, what did you say about him again? I know we were talking a little bit on Saturday. What, what, oh, what I said did he, he remind you of? So this is nothing about him. I don't know anything about him. Just his his the one single photo I saw of him, which was his like composite photo, you know, where he's wearing like his maroon blazer, you know, like this, just the stock photo that they take of every player. Something about his like, just look overall, his like semi baldingness, like his kind of sneaky little smile. Like he just, I think I texted you. He like, he seems like someone who in high school would have been suspended or kicked out of school for like paintballing cars. Yeah. He just, he just has that look <laughs> about him. He does. I thought yeah. you absolutely nailed that. So that was, uh, that was one of the highlights of my Saturday was getting that message. But um, yeah, Minnesota looks legit. They got that legitimate passing offense. Morgan uh, close to the top of the leaderboard as far as as far as yards per attempt goes. You know, for him to put up as many yards as he did on just 18 of 20 passing, like that's that's not the first time this year that he's been completely surgical with the, mm-hmm. with the uh, completion percentage either. So it's not just that, but he's explosive with it as well. Rashad Bateman kind of coming along as, as not really the Robin, but like Batman or Batman A and Batman B mm-hmm. to Tyler Johnson. That's like a formidable thing for any secondary to put up against. That was my biggest takeaway watching them. Um, you know, Tanner Morgan was good. You know, I mean, to me, like he just... I wouldn't say like system quarterback, but you know, like you just did it. He was a, a nice college quarterback who was comfortable doing what he needed to do. But like the biggest, the biggest thing that jumped out was the the caliber of the receivers, Bateman especially. Like, yeah, he looked like an NFL receiver in every way, like size, speed, mm-hmm. downfield ability. Um, and they hit they hit a big one to him on like the second or third play of the game, you know, to to kind of blow it open early on and, and set the tone and. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where they acquired this talent. I mean, most of these guys were on the team last year. The secondary, I thought, was really good for most of the game as well. Um, Antoine Winfield Jr. Right. I Making mean, plays. Yeah, and, and even he, it's not like he was a five-star guy. I mean, it's just, I think this is, again, I'm not a P.J. Fleck guy, but, you know, to to do this in the, in the course of two years when you don't even have, you know, quote-unquote, your guys in the program yet, and even, and even so, I mean, he's not a guy that's going to come in and immediately be someone who changes the landscape from a recruiting perspective um, to basically take someone else's players and transform them into this in such a short time is really impressive. And, you know, I, I think 
it wouldn't shock me if Minnesota turned around and lost at Iowa, you know, on Saturday afternoon. I don't, I mean, I was a three point favorite against the number eight team in the country that just beat Penn state for a reason. Uh, I mean, that, that game's basically a 50, 50, but it also didn't really feel like a fluke, like major upset win for Minnesota. Like I, I, it almost did seem like after that first quarter, like they expected to beat Penn state. It, you know, the fans rushed the field, which I was a little disappointed to see. You hate to see that like ranked on ranked. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know, given what they've been through for the last decade, it's, it's not a big deal, but well, well, it might've had that effect for the fans. I, I don't, I didn't get the impression at all that the players felt like they were overmatched at any position no they were they were right there with them they stood toe to toe and they delivered that first punch and that's when you knew like it minnesota absolutely mean, means business and i think you, you touched on an interesting point there where this is just year two for fleck and you look around the college football landscape we've already seen two coaches in year two get the axe already at other places so and it's not like minnesota is the best job of those three of those mm-hmm. three or you know you expand it out to um what's going on at Arizona under Kevin Sumlin um, or a couple other places where, where they're struggling. Uh, UCLA, we'll, we always make fun of them, so I don't want to punching bag them too much here. But, uh, you know, all things being equal, what Flex been able to do with not his guys, like you're saying, um, I think being able to convince Tyler Johnson to come back for his senior year was maybe the biggest recruiting win he could have had in that 2019 cycle, essentially, because he was able to recruit his own player back and have that mm-hmm. one-two punch out wide. Uh, that's been huge. So, yeah, like you were saying, they looked every bit the part um, on 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 Saturday and you wonder if they can have a trajectory a little bit like uh Michigan State where they're they're not like the traditional power within the Big Ten but they they enter the discussion every single year and you can't discuss the Big Ten without bringing up Minnesota here for a little bit Mm -hmm. and we've been waiting and maybe you've been not excited about this but we've been waiting for someone else in the West to at least like show up here and have a pulse you know for the last like four years it's been bad so well, this is what everyone thought nebraska would be right yes like, i think this yes. this exact trajectory is what nebraska fans thought they were getting with scott frost and they're in year two too yeah, yeah they are um yeah i mean now it's now it's looking like you know if minnesota beats iowa the last the last stand between them and and the big 10 title game will be wisconsin and at that point minnesota will have probably already locked up you know wisconsin having two conference losses uh will have probably already locked up the that that the big 10 west but you know wisconsin with a chance to play spoiler after losing as massive favorites you know in in the axe game last year would be a lot of fun you know kind of a nice pre-outback bowl um type of type of thing that would be like the season for wisconsin there you know it would it really would and it's and i've felt the same way about wisconsin basketball in the past and now it's kind of coming full circle with football where it's especially been the case in college football i think for wisconsin that so many of these teams, like you said, the Big Ten West as a whole has basically been down since they divided the conference. You know, that whole division has been terrible. Now, you know, whether it whether Nebraska gets its act together, whether, you know, Iowa's kind of been better these last couple of years, now Minnesota certainly right in the mix. Um, and even in the other division, you know, Ohio State was on probation for a year. Penn State was down for a while after the paternal scandal. Michigan has really been down, you know, and they've they're better now than they were three, four years ago. And to not take advantage of that, um, you know, when half like when basically all the major power players except for Ohio State have been have been down, extremely frustrating. Yeah, I mean, we you can scale it even back further to, to yeah. like those three separate or three uh, consecutive Rose Bowl appearances too. So not to yeah. rub too they much lost salt to Andy here. Dalton in a Rose Bowl. Gosh, darn Andy it. Dalton, concern it. Okay, where else do you want to go with these playoff rankings? Um, um, did anything really stand out to you? One, I think the only point of contention it was pretty obvious that what the top three was going to look like. Yep. Um, I think 
by putting Georgia four, it was the committee more so rewarding the big wins rather than the bad losses. And, and it, it was a statement to Alabama that yep. they don't have a good win really to this point, a win that impresses the committee. And depending on how things go on Saturday with, with Georgia and Auburn, there's a chance that Alabama's best win this season, and that's making a big assumption that Alabama even beats Auburn. But if Georgia beats Auburn and then Alabama does, is Alabama's best win against a three-loss Auburn team? And that's what they have to hang their hats on? Like, I think that would work against them to the point where I really, if I'm an Alabama fan, I'm concerned about them getting in. I, I really mm-hmm. think a lot of things have to happen from now until early December to to really feel like Alabama has moved yep. over the the Pac-12 guys in the in the pecking order, even though right now, as it stands, Oregon and Utah are behind yep. them, or uh, Georgia even. Right. So, I mean, Alabama would need a massive collapse from LSU against either Ole Miss or Arkansas, and then plus losing to A&M. You know, they need basically the LSU to just you know, Joe Burrow gets hurt or something terrible happens basically to them to even have a shot at banking what would be their best win in the conference title game. So they're kind of in that position where, you know, LSU has a chance to, assuming they win out, you know, against inferior teams, they have a chance to to bankroll another great win over a Georgia type of team in the SEC title game, or even lose that game to what will likely be a top five team in Georgia, um, assuming it is them, of course. And then probably be forgiven for that loss because that's it'll be like the best quality loss that anyone has besides Alabama, whose one loss will be to LSU. So we're, we're we discussed this scenario last week. It's going to get really messy. Um, you know, certainly one of these one loss Pac-12 teams will likely be in the mix, whether that ends up being Oregon or Utah. Do you see it? You know, coming down to LSU likely being in Ohio, Ohio State or Minnesota being in. We'll say Ohio State. Clemson gets the the automatic bid just by by being Clemson and having a terrible schedule, and then that last spot coming down to I think Georgia if it if it wins the SEC title, or if it loses and picks up its second loss, um, or loses to Auburn, you know, or basically suffers another loss the rest of the way, yep. or one loss Alabama versus one loss Oregon or Utah. Yeah, I think it, it would have to go to the Pac-12 champion at that point, especially if, it, if it's a one loss Pac-12 champion. I'm not sure if either Oregon or Utah will really be tested from here on. I, I do have a, a slight take on, on the Utah game a little bit later on in the show, but I think if you're looking at it, and Oregon is sitting there with a resume that has them as a one-loss Pac-12 champion that ha- that has won 12 consecutive games over an Alabama team that lost a game in its conference and didn't make it to the conference title game. That would just be uh, just irresponsible by the committee to put Alabama in over Oregon. I think at that point, uh, we might have to reconsider some mm-hmm. criteria as far as what gets you into the top four, um, because I think Oregon at that point would, would certainly have deserved it and earned it. So I remember saying last week that there's no way that the Big Ten gets two teams. And those teams I, w- I was referencing were Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, what if Minnesota wins out? They would they will have beaten, in that scenario, number 20 Iowa this week, Northwestern next week, and then a home game against Wisconsin that's currently ranked 14th. What if they win out and beat Ohio State in the Big Ten title game, and Ohio State then becomes a one loss, with its one loss being to what would then be like the number two or three Minnesota? Oh my gosh, that would be... I don't that think that's be- going to happen, but that would be... And even more of a nightmare scenario if, if you're Alabama, which you're already kind of sweating this out, I think, if you're an Alabama fan. Yeah, you need Ohio State to take care of business and just like have yes. that locked away here. So exactly. you, you need anyone. You want those top three to just kind of stay solid here. I think you take a Clemson loss. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. I don't think point. one loss Clemson 
Yeah, we, we talk about the deficiencies in Alabama's schedule. Clemson's on another level with that. It's Yes, it is putrid. Although Clemson even, you know, at least their non-conference game was a legit SEC opponent. True. Well, they, they, they also played Clemson Alabama. Clemson and Alabama might share the best win right now, right, with A&M? That's crazy, yeah. In terms of uh, on each of their schedule, yeah. So this right. is this could get really messy. Yeah, I think Clemson, yeah, Clemson loss would, would really change things up here. Um, another scenario that I think would be pretty chaotic is, say, Georgia loses this weekend, then somehow finds a way to win in Atlanta. That would be insanity. So you have two lost Georgia. Who's an SEC ch- champion. Right. With the best win on the board. It would be tough. I I don't know which way the committee would lean. I I feel like they would go one loss Alabama over Georgia still because one of those losses is to South Carolina. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that loss is going to end up being their undoing. But, I, you know, I think it, in in the end, Georgia has at least one more, if not two more losses, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, it's it really is tough to kind of, once you start assuming one scenario, then kind of having to compensate for what it means for the rest. Um, it's it's a lot of fun to do, but also super confusing. Um, and it will we'll get more clarity, you know, as, as more of these games unfold. Um, let's talk Al. Al- excuse me, LSU, Alabama first, um, before we hit on any other games from last week and then maybe take a quick look ahead at week 12. This was the game of the year. Um, undoubtedly, I, th- I think I think for the most part, it lived up to the hype. Um, you know, it, it it was more, I think, of a, of a dominant performance by LSU than the final five-point spread would end up indicating. You know, that, that late touchdown to Devontae Smith kind of threw everything into a frenzy. But, I mean, like LSU did on you know basically every drive that mattered in the second half they were able to respond um and and kind of get the yardage that they needed to close that game out i mean there was a there was a second there where one they almost got the onside kick it was a great onside kick and it was a great job by i think jordan jefferson to recover that yeah or jamar Chase, one of the receivers for lsu was out there to get it um but that was one i mean if you're alabama you can't ask for a better bounce um and you know they were kind of one or two steps away from maybe making that uh into a play but the Alabama defense then had a chance, you know, to go out there and and get a stop. And the yardage total for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire only ended up being 103. It felt like all 103 of those were after contact. Yes, he really had the game of his life on, on Saturday. Like for a guy that um, has been relatively underrated throughout the course of the season and even before, I know that I'm I was guilty of that. I was calling my shot on freshman John Emery, like just stealing that job from him in August. Edwards-Hilaire, you know, for maybe lacking in some of like that true five-star pedigree made up for it in a big way on Saturday. He he had a huge game. I mean, he was great through the air. And then, I mean, the, some of the plays that he made late were also just, you know, putting the nail in the coffin of Alabama, you know, when Alabama had kind of funneled the game to, to what classically Alabama would load up to stop and get you off the field when they know you're running it and you can still run the ball on them. That is that is extremely impressive. That is imposing your will. So it was mm-hmm. almost like a little bit of a taste of the vintage LSU Bama game there towards the end. You know, like there there are way more poor, points mm-hmm. on the board here than we ever could have expected. But it did come down to some some smash mouth elements yep. there late. Yeah, and on the other side, I thought Najee Harris was awesome too. I mean, nobody yeah, will talk he, about they didn't that. Didn't run since him they enough. Lost the game. No, I mean, and in some ways they couldn't afford to because they were down. You know, I think they wanted to throw the ball, and you know, Tua had that weird fumble. That, was that first possession, which ended up being way bigger than it seemed at the time. I mean, because they, they marched right down, and then, yeah, he just dropped the ball, uh, had a bad interception as well. But, I mean, on the whole, for being for a guy who barely completed 50% of his passes, I mean, 418 yards. You could say the last one was a little lucky, 85 yards to Devontae Smith. But, 
I thought for the most part he was really good. Um, a couple of uncharacteristic drops from Jerry Judy. Ooh, he ended yes. up having a big catch on fourth down to kind of save himself. But two two passes, one of them would have been a touchdown. One of them was another long one uh, that just went right through his hands. Looked worse on replay. Um, really uncharacteristic game from him. But you know he still had some big plays. They had the punt return from Jalen Waddle. Um, but the biggest takeaway on the Alabama side for me was just like this is not, and this is not news to anybody. This is not the same defense that we've seen. It, it was such a plug and play, almost Patriots like system where you'd almost lose track of wait was cj mosley on this team was um you know with the front too deron Payne is it jonathan allen is right. it quinn and williams it was just plug and play all going all the way back to like terrence cody you know reggie ragland like it just it just seemed like they had the same guys every single year they were different names but they did the same thing they were just as effective they were all huge they were all physical and you know they have the names on this team you know trayvon diggs patrick sertan you know guys who've been on the field um but it, they just weren't as effective. I don't, I don't know how to say. I mean, Joe Burrow deserves credit. The LSU offense deserves credit. Um, but the tackles, you know, like so many third and shorts that Alabama would usually, you know, stuff somebody up the middle or all of a sudden, you know, it's a pitch out and it's a five-yard loss or it's a big sack. Every time that it felt like one of those Alabama, classic Alabama defense plays were coming, LSU had an answer. And it was it was really kind of jarring to see Alabama be on the other side of it. You know, we've seen so many times Derrick Henry and Najee Harris and uh, TJ Yeldon, Trent Richardson, even. I mean, I'm yeah, hesitating to say it, but like those are the guys that are usually plowing through a defense and picking up an extra yard for a first down. And there were four or five times, whether it was Edwards Hilaire or, you know, some of the receivers who it seemed like they were always able to break that first tackle and always able to get, you know, even if, you know, even if you're turning what was a one yard loss into a two yard gain, it felt like all those extra yards that they gained always seemed to matter later in the series. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good way of framing it. And it was just kind of bizarre. It was almost like you weren't even watching Alabama at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you can, you can feel that way just from seeing 46 points on the board against them to begin with. But um, yeah, like the, you know, everything that happened in between uh, kickoff and, and the end of the game, there was just a lot of missed tackles and it makes you wonder a little bit um, if Al- if those injuries finally caught up to Alabama yep, on the I defensive so. side of things. But I don't think that you can look at this game and say that like the offense w- or like if Tua was 100% that, that Alabama wins that game necessarily because he certainly did enough. He's not the one that's playing defense. He's not the one that's giving up 46 points to LSU. So yep. um, I don't think that there's any sour grapes that you can have regarding this Alabama offense. It all points to the defense, and I think that's probably what stings the most. Yeah, I think you said it well too. This it it didn't seem like an Alabama game. It didn't seem like an Alabama team, you know. And and the announcers noted it too. Um, you know, like the 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 penalties early on, the muffed punt, you know, things like those are the plays that Alabama is, is always capitalizing on. You know, special teams, things like that. And they had the punt return, um, but two of their touchdowns. You know, the punt return and then the long one to Smith. Those were two kind of fluky plays that it, like Alabama has historically not needed those type of plays to stay At in all. the game. Like if Waddle doesn't bring that punt back, like this was in danger of being an even bigger uh, you know first half deficit for Alabama. And, and of course they were able to claw back, but it was just a little too late. And you know the 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 thing that's going to ring in my mind, I think, above Joe Burrow and, and Edward Tulare playing so well is just Alabama's defense not getting stops when it needed to. Yeah, I think I think that uh, that sums it up perfectly. It was a uh... Yeah, kind of a tale of this season. I think a lot of people have been impressed by Alabama, but I, I feel like there's also been an air of, you know, this isn't this isn't quite Alabama title caliber. So I mean, what, you can't fully count them out until it's all said yeah. and done here. But like, 
I, I feel like this Alabama team is a cut below what we've seen. Mm-hmm. I think that we could be sitting here in a, in a month now uh, seeing them left out of the playoffs for the first time since yep. it started in 2014. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it's it's bad for an Alabama team, but it's still an awesome team. I mean, I mean, that this just, team that just tells national, you how, how high right, the bar this is. This is a set. national championship caliber team easily. Like, I mean, no one if they sneak into the playoff and win it all, that's not going to be surprising. You know, you have the best, arguably the best quarterback in the country, arguably the best receiving core in like 20 years i mean it's and the defense is we're sitting here maligning the stevens it's still a pretty damn good defense you know like 90 percent, 95 percent of teams in the country would trade their defense oh god yeah yeah absolutely so so it's just that's how high the the bar has been set at alabama by alabama yes that's good yeah you want to be in that position uh where else were your eyes um we talked about minnesota we talked about bama lsu where else were your eyes on saturday um especially like for dfs purposes and and just to kind of like chill out during the early window um the smu east carolina game was so fun it was uh, a 70 point over under there that was smashed by like 40 points 110 combined yeah so smu and east carolina uh thank you for truly carrying the early window like it running alongside the penn state minnesota game that was just a really fun thing to to have on and for dfs purposes like james prochet and kylan granson um some guy for east carolina i forget i'm forgetting his name but Tyler he had, sneed yeah he just absolutely popped off um i, I was pretty mad about that 19 catches 240 yards three touchdowns yep i was i could be a rich man if i had him instead of cj williams but I digress. Um, either way, so shouts out to to the AAC for providing uh, very entertaining football on, on a weekly basis there. Mm-hmm. And I know that the week before the SMU Memphis game was also a lot of fun. And then, I mean, otherwise, um, I thought we just had quality games in pretty much every window. I thought that the Oklahoma um, Iowa State game was, was better than I thought it was going to be. I thought Oklahoma just, you know, for a team that needs to be on its best behavior, basically the rest of the way, they really effed yeah. around and, and like, you know, made the mistakes um, that everyone has kind of been accusing them of as far as their defense is concerned, uh, letting Iowa State come back into that game and Iowa State, if it hits on its on its two point conversion, it wins in in Norman there mm-hmm. uh, at night. Um, so bad look for Oklahoma. The offense is still ridiculous, um, but I think that. Overall, it it showed why the com- committee was fine with moving them down yep. a spot, you know, despite a quality win there. And then Baylor um, sticking in in the Big Twelve, uh, barely surviving TCU, also giving credence to the people that are like, oh, the, yeah, they're nine and zero, but yep. how good are they really? So like, any like doubt from the non-power undefeated t- or non like blue bloods that are undefeated uh, gets transferred over mm-hmm. to uh, to Baylor now. Any of that mistrust that was on Minnesota previously yep. now goes to Baylor that Baylor game ended on a pick too right it was just kind of a bad throw in the corner and I, I remember I watched I tuned in for like the final couple series of that and like the, the Baylor picks it off to seal the game and like there was just like barely any celebration on the field you know like the the sideline kind of rushed onto the field but like the defensive backs kind of looked at each other like yikes like, yeah <laughs> we are really lucky to get out of this how, how we did they've had so, they've had some really really bad tightrope walks against <clears throat> yeah. bad hey. big 12 teams once I want to see Minnesota Baylor in the in the college football playoff final, and we, you know we very well may get it. Now we're talking. Um, I barely watched any of Wisconsin Iowa. Um, I was back home in in Green Bay this past weekend. My dad is like super poor. He only has one fifty five inch TV oh, in his living room. Oh yeah, my god! Just, I'm sorry you had to slum it. Absurd. Yeah, I was like, I don't. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. I I had to get this, John. I had to stream the game on my laptop. Excuse you? Yeah, <sighs> buddy. Yeah, it's 2019. 
Yeah. So I chose Alabama LSU. I think that was the right call. This from from all indications, this was not a an overwhelmingly fun Wisconsin Iowa game. Uh, another one that got a little bit more uncomfortable than it probably should have for the home team. So did Iowa have a chance to win yes. to tie it at the end or win it? Uh, well, they had a chance. They had a long like seventy some yard touchdown, and then had a chance to tie it with a two point conversion. And one of the worst, uh, it was like a QB blast, I guess, but it, it out a shotgun. Okay. So well, you, know, you get a little more momentum for Nate Stanley. I think that I, was I totally the plan. <laughs> he seemed to garner negative momentum. Like he was even getting trashed by, by the commentators at that point. They were just like, "What was that?" Just like, check out that? of it, man. <laughs> yeah, it was like a it was like a sneak, but he did it at like half speed and just kind of ran into the pile and was never really close. Like there's a, a tiny push initially, um, but I don't even think they reviewed it. Like it was really clear he didn't get it. Yeah, he got stuck um, at like the one or something. That was not a game I wanted to go into OT. Uh, Wisconsin, not a great Jack Cohn game. He threw a really bad pick, which is kind of what set this whole thing into motion. Um, and Iowa ended up outscoring Wisconsin 16-3 to in the final period. But a game that Wisconsin mostly controlled. Jonathan Taylor, 250 yards, 31 carries. Didn't get in the end zone. Um, but this was also the Ron Dane 20th anniversary commemoration um for when he broke the record which was against iowa so they brought him out at least once possibly twice i saw him he did the heisman pose that was Mm -hmm. cool his girlfriend was out there some of his kids made it back (laughs) Uh, at least two of his kids i think were there love it um so that was sweet cool of jonathan taylor you know to have a huge game in front of ron um but i just you know you felt this way with georgia i'm sure in the past too it's just when expectations are high when things look to be going in, in the right direction and then you suffer a couple losses it's that's what makes college football great, I guess, that every game matters. But, you know, when you're 7-2 and two with no path to to the college football playoff, you know, it makes it tough to get up for these games. Yeah, I've, I feel that. <clears throat> but at least there is, like, the interdivisional, uh, you know, yeah. intrigue there for, for that game. But I, I think overall, if I were in your shoes and, you know, Georgia had been out of the out of the hunt there and they were playing against, a, you know, a, a, yeah, maybe South Carolina is a bad example this time, but like Tennessee or something, and there was a much bigger uh, non-SEC game going on. I pro- my eyes would probably be t- turned uh, to that mm-hmm. one. So can't blame you there. When, when when you get let down, it's hard to buy back in. Yeah, I uh, didn't have any other real <clears throat> real big takeaways from Week 11. So I guess we can look ahead uh, before we get into DFS to Week 12. Um, what is what is your game of the week? Is there any are there any big like SEC? I see we got Navy Notre Dame. We got Wake Forest, Clemson, Texas, <laughs> Iowa. Poor State. Wake Forest. I'll get to that. Oh, LSU, Ole Miss. That's that's what I was that's, thinking of. Well, there's there's one uh, that's uh, allegedly the oldest uh, rivalry in the Deep South between uh, Auburn hmm. and the University of Georgia, and that's okay. taking place at Auburn, uh, the same place that two years that. ago Georgia went in undefeated, the number one team in the country, coming into the. Uh, they had, they had just done the second uh, college football playoff rankings. Georgia moved up to number one in that one, and goes into Auburn and gets absolutely smashed. That's, that's like the Carry On Johnson game. Carry uh, On Johnson just did whatever he wanted. Uh, Georgia could not get anything going. Jake Fromm. Uh, that was like the first time that he truly ever looked rattled to that point. Uh, he was a true freshman, but hadn't really shown it to that point. But it, it got messy. In that game, Gus Malzahn goes ahead and says, we whipped the dog crap out of them uh, to Tracy Wolfson after the game. Yeah, use the C word. Unbelievable. The C-R-A-P word. Uh, Just just outrageous. And then Georgia was able to exact its revenge a couple weeks later. But that that was a really good Auburn team. Coming into this week, 
Man, it's going to be tough. I think both these defenses are like two of the best in the country. Georgia still hasn't given up a rushing touchdown this season. And then on the Auburn side, um, Derek Brown and the rest of those guys up front are just unbelievably nasty. And the way that Georgia has been unable to get things really, really going on the ground uh, makes this concerning because the passing game has been so weak. I think Jake Fromm has like more games than not going under 200 passing yards uh, this season so it's been ugly for that Um, they just uh, had Lawrence Cager get hurt again uh, this past weekend aggravated a shoulder injury didn't play in the second half against Missouri so that takes away uh, basically one half of what you try to target in the passing game it's it's been basically him or Pickens um, in the second half of the season here so if if Cager is limited or out that's going to allow uh, former Auburn commit George Pickens, and it's going to allow Auburn to really, really try to, to focus on him and take him out of this game there. And that's going to hurt Fromm in this passing game, make them one-dimensional and, and make this run game potentially a lot less effective than it usually is. And it hasn't even been that effective to this point. So I think more, if I have a lean on this game, I would say from any side of it, I would say the under is probably the, my best play from it. I think that uh, Auburn's offense, you know, not that they are without their own sins. I mean, Bo Nix has been pretty shaky. Um, I think after Joey Gatewood announced his transfer a couple of weeks ago, a lot of uh, self-reflection from Auburn Nation uh, about Gus's mismanagement of the quarterback position over the course of recent years and how Jarrett Stidham got worse uh, with more time uh, during his during his Auburn tenure and and you know mismanaging that this Nick's Gatewood situation to now if Nick's goes down they really have nobody uh, to go to in terms of that quarterback depth and that, I mean that's endemic of a lot of different schools I mean Georgia obviously has that problem too um, but bottom line here Auburn doesn't have a great offense it doesn't have a quarterback that can hurt them. Um, George is going to be able to take away the run game like it has all year. I don't know if Jatarvius Whitlow is going to be at 100% healthy. DJ Williams will be an X factor for that Auburn backfield. Uh, he's, he looks pretty promising for a freshman. Um, but overall, I think that this is going to be an absolute slugfest. I could see this being like 17-14. My initial lean right now is that Auburn, just by virtue of being the home team and just being sort of a chaotic team in general, is going to get the win on Saturday here. But I won't be shocked if if Georgia gets it because I mean they're they're the veteran team they're the one with it with the junior quarterback who's been in big spots before and usually uh, except for a couple of different spots has has risen to the occasion so um, I think that I think that Auburn wins it here but um, Georgia I mean it, it's going to be a really good game either way it's going to be a slugfest mm-hmm. it's going to be the opposite <clears throat> of the Bama LSU like SEC heavyweight fight that yep. also has a lot of points. Yeah, a lot of good games in the early and, and afternoon windows in Week 12. Um, I mean, even even kind of some of the ranked on non-ranked, um, like, you know, Wisconsin-Nebraska has historically been a good game, and hopefully this will kind of be a get-right game, I would think, for Wisconsin at Nebraska. Michigan State-Michigan, always fun. Um, I mean, Kansas at Oklahoma State, I, I probably won't be tuning into that, if I'm being honest, but Kansas has put up some fights this year. Yes. Um, this is, you know, this I think it's kind of – Week 12 is kind of – going to be in the shadow of, of an awesome week 11 but there's still some great games um you talked about georgia auburn um texas iowa state i feel like they've already played like four times they this have. year uh yet again they meet um texas is back and <laughs> they're back in the top 25 they're at 19 i really do still enjoy watching them play i know they've been disappointing but they're always a team like 
you know, if, if one game you're watching is a blowout or, you know, I guess we have Minnesota, Iowa in the afternoon window, but I'll probably try to check in on, on a little bit of Texas. I mean, a lot, a lot of athletes fun. at least on the field. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, we, we see, um, Sam Ellinger having a really strong season, despite the, the losses that Texas has taken to this point. So, um, that'll be fun. They, they are at the very least an entertaining team to watch. Mm-hmm. And the defense is bad enough to where like, you know, there's going to be points going on yeah. the other side. Um, Brock Purdy, uh, I think everyone is, is pretty familiar with him at, at this point, but, um, you know, getting to getting to go up in, in another marquee matchup, <clears throat> going impressing against Oklahoma yep. last week, going up against Texas this week, it, it could be you know another further thing to where he builds his case to be like the the QB one for pro mm-hmm. prospects heading into next year, other than Trevor Lawrence. Sam Ellinger and, and Joe Burrow have had like divergent seasons where like I, I think the year that Joe Burrow is having, maybe not statistically because they're different players. You know, Ellinger is much more of a kind of run run threat than Burrow yeah, yeah. is, but like the come up that he's had nationally you know I, I still think the average fan might not know a ton about sam ellinger like there was a chance that we would be talking about him the way we're talking about burrow maybe not as a potential number one pick but i mean ellinger was kind of right on that maybe second or third tier heisman um trajectory early i would say on. he and, probably came into the year top five in heisman yeah odds. right and i mean nobody really thought that way about burrow and Mm-mm. i mean he's now the overwhelming favorite after this past week yeah it was i think i saw like like minus 1000 like <laughs> that's odds insane or for anyone yeah yeah so Burrow, Burrow's leg literally has to fall off here towards the end or somehow mm-hmm. like the the uh someone gets hold of a voodoo doll of him and I don't just even know sabotages if that would be him. I don't Probably think that'd not. be enough. No, because there would be counter curses from the rest of the, right. the people well, of Louisiana. In, I mean, yeah, like of, of all places to if you need if you're in need of a counter curse, like he's got access, you would think. Buddy. Oh yeah. Okay, let's talk about the DFS slate. As always, we will head to DraftKings.com. Um Hey, do you want to start at the quarterback position? Always, Try something man. new. Let's do it, man. So uh, this week, quarterback is is nice in the in terms of like the there's a pretty soft cap and uh, at the quarterback spot, and I think that there's a lot that you can play around with um, under eight thousand to really load up at at other spots. Um, so I I kind of did an initial lean towards Brady White and then one of the cheaper um, under seven thousand quarterbacks, but to lead things off here anthony gordon uh, has a fine enough matchup going up against stanford he's 8500 um, obviously he's gonna be throwing a ton of passes stanford traditionally a very strong defense not the case this year they've been pretty bad against the pass um, so don't let the name brand fool you here when it comes to stanford i think that gordon will be able to throw all over them have a bit of a bounce back game after that cal game uh, last week uh, Tua going up against miss state i do feel like alabama's I feel bad for Miss State basically having to bear the brunt of uh, Alabama taking out his frustrations this week. It's going to be ugly. I think that Tua, um, I I could see him throwing four touchdowns again in this one at the very least and and plenty of yardage on top of it. So I couldn't argue against using him at 8,300. I like Brock Purdy a little bit better, though, because I'm confident that he's going to be playing the whole game. I think Texas makes this a game. Um, And when it comes to Purdy, um, he's been like a top 10 producer as far as quarterbacks in fantasy points per game this year. And also Texas, second worst pass defense on the slate, allowing just about 300 passing yards per game. So uh, you can get that 300 yard bonus on top of it when it comes to Purdy. And he has no like true star power as far as the the supporting cast goes but he's got a lot of effective players um one way or the other Tyreek Milton uh 
uh, LaMichael Petway, Charlie Kohler, the tight end, uh, Deshante Jones. Um, so a lot of different looks that, that Iowa State can throw at you and move the ball against Texas. So I do like Purdy a fair bit. When you move into the sub 8,000, um, like I was saying about Alabama being able to just kind of stomp out Miss State this week, I think Trevor Lawrence Oh boy, I think Clemson is going to do some biblical stuff this weekend. I think that it could they could go for 60 plus. I think that Clemson is waking up and that that's been you know, we barely spent any time talking about Clemson in the uh, college football playoff rankings segment because it's like they do sort of operate outside the the broader context of college football because it's just like mm-hmm. they just have to take care of business against bad teams and yep. and they're in and, and it's fine because we all know that they are w- more than worthy of that number 3 yeah. spot. They they're, are they're basically like an independent good. team at this point. It's insane. Um, so Wake Forest, they just had a crushing loss uh, this past weekend. They lost to Virginia Tech, and perhaps more costly than that, um, they lost Sage Surratt for the rest of the season, who was the first Power 5 player to hit 1,000 yards this season. Um, so he was really impressive. So losing him, uh, it's going to tank this Wake Forest offense, I think, in a way that they can't recover from. And I think Clemson's ready to put their foot on the gas. So that this couldn't have gone have been worse timing for Wake Forest, basically. Um, so I think Lawrence, uh, four straight games with at least three passing touchdowns, two straight games with at least 30 DraftKings points. Uh, I think that we could see him, you know, put up a potential season high as far as his fantasy output goes this week. So 7,800 for Lawrence. I like it a lot. Um, Brady White, I mentioned him earlier, 7,700 going up against Houston. Houston gives up about 290 passing yards per game, 2.6 passing touchdowns per game. So they really are are, um, a a break, don't bend type of defense, and they bend plenty on top of that. Brady White, uh, 23 to 4 on the touchdown to interception rate, uh, 300 yards or more in three of his last four games. Uh, So I think that this sets up well for him. And Houston can kind of stop the run a little bit. I, I still like Kenny Gainwell if you if you wanted to go that route. Um, but I, I think that Houston more vulnerable through the air, and that's why I like Brady White at seventy seven hundred. Yeah, a lot of options on the slate tonight. Um, I know if you look a little bit lower, Spencer Sanders, that OK State offense, always productive. Um, no Tylen Wallace. Yeah, so so that hurts um, the the passing bottom line and. You know, if Sanders was north of 6,900 going up against Kansas, maybe I would feel a little bit different about this. Spencer's, uh, Spencer Sanders only threw like 15 times against TCU last time out. Um, I think I think that was TCU. Um, but he ran a lot more than he has been. So um, the, I think Oklahoma State is kind of having to reinvent itself here on as it goes because like I tweeted out a few weeks ago when, when Wallace went down, there isn't a single player, not not that anyone really has a player that can just come up and, and replace its true number one receiver, but what Wallace meant to that offense is so outsized compared to what anyone else has has been doing, you know, like a 30% target share with like the immense uh, yards per target, the touchdowns share, all that good stuff. No one else comes even close to that type of skill set for Oklahoma State, so they are going to have to be a bit more run heavy here the rest of the way. So I think Sanders is going to run a little bit more this weekend and that's enough to encourage me to use him at 6,900 and if you wanted to get in on the other side of this game Carter Stanley was a little bit dinged up against TCU his last time out or Kansas State I'm sorry the last time out but um, I think he should be good to go Kansas coming off the bye here and Oklahoma State uh, their their secondary is pretty bad as you as you might expect here so there's going to be a lot of points in this one I think it generates a lot of it uh, from the quarterbacks here so if I'm looking low you know 
under seven seven K. Um, that's somewhere that I would consider. Um, I would not use Jamie Newman this week at seventy one hundred of Wake Forest uh, for those reasons I laid out a little bit ago. If Alan Bowman is back, he's interesting at sixty three hundred. That is going to be his first game back from an injury that's kept him out for a while. But going up against TCU could be a, a worse matchup. So you know, all things considered, that that might work out okay. But I, I don't think I would go under six under 6,200 necessarily. I think Clayton Toon may be against Memphis, but Memphis uh, pretty strong um, going up against the pass actually. So maybe hold off there. And then with Kyle Trask, he was a nice play last week going up against Vanderbilt. Totally different story on the road against a Missouri defense that I was pretty impressed by uh, in terms of its secondary play uh, last week against Georgia. So I think that Trask should be fine, but I don't think he hits that ceiling the way he did against Vandy. All right, looking at the running back position, three guys uh, priced above 8000 this week. Chuba Hubbard, of course, leads the way at 8800 Kenneth Gainwell of Memphis, they go up against Houston in Houston. He's at 84 And then Travis Etienne working his way back above 8000 um, I know you like this Clemson passing game against Wake Forest. This is three straight games now of at least 50 points, uh, at least 55 points, I guess I could say for Clemson. Um, do you think they keep it going on the ground as well? I do. ETN is quietly like, you know, reemerged to his, to his old form where he's averaging like almost nine yards a carry. Uh, he's got 15 total touchdowns. So he's extremely back. And I think the wake forest is going to get bullied on the ground here. So, uh, there's enough to go around here. You, you can have lineups that, that focus on the Clemson pass game and you can also hedge by just go, going after ETN. My initial build, um, was going really, really heavy at, at running back and then just kind of trying to build it around from there. I went lighter at quarterback, like I said, with, with White and, and Max Dugan. Uh, Dugan, again, if he's healthy, going up against Texas Tech, but I, I might pivot to Carter Stanley. We'll, we'll see there. But I went with Chuba Hubbard and Travis Etienne and just tried to hit values as hard as I could at the pass catcher spots there because I think that Hubbard is – a, like a necessary bingo spot basically basically for this uh slate yes he's 400 and 400 more um than the next priciest guy but i mean you're talking about a dude who's going up against kansas kansas gives up 235 rushing yards per game five yards per carry as a team that's just ridiculous so um i just man like there's just no way around chuba hubbard like fading him you just basically have to hope he gets hurt. And if you hope that Chuba Hubbard gets hurt, then yeah. yeah. If, you're, if you're playing you DFS and just hoping that players get hurt, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, buddy. So <laughs> so Chuba, I mean, he's getting like 26.2 carries per game. That's so much Chuba for Kansas to deal with. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we're going to get the Samaj P. Ron game here, but I'm not saying it's oh, not going to happen. That's the Donnell Pumphrey of games. <laughs> I That was... <laughs> That might be worse than Danelle Pumphrey. It, it like, kind of is, man, yeah. Because it was, was so soon after. It was like a week after. It was the total opposite of like Melvin Gordon broke the record in a huge game against Nebraska in the snow in three quarters. Yes. And then Chuba does it in a meaningless game against, was it Kansas? It was Kansas. Yeah, and they like put him out there late in the game when it was well decided just to get him the record. It was, it, I mean, it was just one of the most, the, one of the poorest displays of sportsmanship that you'll see. I'm, I'm glad that you had the chance to, to soapbox on that one because I, I do Ugh. feel that. Um, 
moving on. Um, and again, I like ETN as well. Um, and then like if you move like 6,600 on down, uh, Najee Harris, um, he, he ran really well against LSU. You expect, uh, maybe if you, if you're hedging against Bama going full throttle in the passing game and just using Najee to get out of there with a win, um, you could see that working out. Kylan Hill, um, I think just by virtue of him going up against Alabama in the game script setting up where, you know, Miss State might not be able to lean too heavily on the ground game. It's going to keep his ownership relatively low, but Alabama, not the greatest team against the run there. And I think that Hill is sort of the engine of that offense. Um, so, you know, he's someone to keep an eye on as well. Uh, Keontae Ingram, 6,000, uh, coming off a really nice game this past week against K-State, but Iowa State a little bit tougher on defense. I think that Texas more leans on Ellinger um, this time around. So I would probably am not going to go to the well twice um, as far as he goes, um, looking at the Houston guys, um, because Memphis is more susceptible on the ground than it is against uh, the pass. I could see Kyle Porter or Mulbacar. You'll have to kind of keep an eye on what we'll do our best here at, you know, at Roto HQ with the breaking news to, to see what Houston wants to do, because Holgerson has been planning on redshirting Mulbacar um, all year, and he's coming up against his fourth game here. So Houston could opt to use him in this one, or they could save him for one of those last uh, two games of the year here. So if they opt to sit him uh, in this one, then I think Kyle Porter immediately is a great value at 5,700. If not, um, then it's a little bit trickier um, to decide and maybe a potential uh, stay away for me there. All right, looking at the receiver position, uh, like you said, Sage Surratt, um i love they put him in here it's just like an honorary option like you could put him in your lineup he's at 7400 out of respect yeah yeah that would be like i mean if you have a spot to spare if you think you have that good of a lineup that you could just spare a receiver spot go for it i'm punting at Um, the most expensive receiver (laughs) spot um the rest of the options i mean somewhat unappealing uh you know the you have the bama guys against mississippi state but i mean you can get jerry judy now at at 6700 and you know if you used him last week probably didn't quite get your full value i mean it was a, a Devonte smith week certainly um but but inter- it might be Devonte smith week every week man he is crazy he's really 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 good um but i mean just looking at judy specifically his price is down sixteen hundred dollars from where it was at the start of the year which i don't think is necessarily a reflection on him just you know the fact that Tua has missed a little bit of time and they've kind of spread the ball out almost to the like almost in the way that we thought they would but you kind of figured, you know, Judy would work his way to the top and he's, yeah, yeah. he's still the number one guy in a lot of ways, but it hasn't necessarily worked out that way in terms of like singular big performances or those, you know, big touchdown explosions. Right. So that, that's that been an, an issue when it comes to Judy this year, and he's been a frustrating asset as a result. And, you know, using him like you can never fully fade him with confidence and be like, there's no way that Judy's going to do anything because even his off game involved, you know, several catches in a touchdown against LSU. Um but at the same time, yeah, the, Bama's just so deep at receiver. They don't need to lean on him maybe like the way that, that we thought they would where like the, this offense is so crazy and yet Judy still stands above the rest there. So maybe Brandon Arcanado, um at 6,700, he's interesting. He's not quite the, the touchdown build type of guy that Aesop Winston is in that Washington State offense, but he gets a ton of targets. And when you're talking full point PPR, that's always something to keep an eye on. Um, of course, the the Clemson guys they've they've just been like hovering um, at that like sixty one hundred to fifty eight hundred for seemingly the like this whole season. I know that some of the like the lesser. 
big name guys uh, have gotten in on the act for Clemson lately, but I still like either Higgins or Justin Ross at 5,900 this week. Um, Demonte Coxie at 5,900. Uh, he's Memphis's main guy. So if you wanted to pair um, a Memphis receiver um, with Brady White in this one, uh, getting him at under 6K is, is a pretty nice um, steal as well. Uh, I'm looking at a guy named Wap Filer. Yeah, and he's a real man. Are there any contests that require you to start someone named WAP in your lineup, kind of like a flex, like a WAP flex? Yeah, yeah, the yeah the WAP showdown. Um, is, this is ridiculous. This it, is an insane name. Forty nine hundred. Uh, the production's been <laughs> extremely up and down. Uh, two catches for seventy six last week against Northwestern. Week before that, fourteen catches for one seventy eight. Week before that, two catches for six yards against that great Maryland defense. And then the two weeks before that, 10 and 14 catches. So, I mean, this is the definition of boomer bust. Uh, I guess the issue is how much do you trust Indiana to get anywhere near the end zone against Penn State? Uh, I mean, Filer hasn't gotten in the end zone in any of his last four games, despite some of those gaudy yardage totals. Um, I mean, the, the Penn State defense looked really vulnerable uh, against some great receivers in Minnesota, but, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe you could make the case if you're, if you're going to be on some of these Indiana guys that – you know, Penn State's kind of in that Wisconsin after they lost to Illinois boat where it's like it's really hard to get up for what you know deep down is, is kind of a meaningless game. Yeah. And then you, you they also have one last try at, at relevance next week, too. So they, right. they're kind of caught in that valley here where they could be overlooking this Indiana team. And uh, failure is one way of going about that. And again, like he's definitely you lean on him because of the, the PPR wrinkle here. I think that he is boomer bust, but the target share should be good enough. Um, and at 4,900, that's something to at least uh, consider here. Uh, Simi Fihoko, um on the other side of the Stanford Wazoo game, generally Stanford's offense has been a no-go for me this year, but um, 4,400, he's got three touchdowns in his last two games, 14% of the target share um, in that span. Wazoo allows the six most passing yards per game on the slate. So, I mean, something to at least consider if you need to kind of punt and, and round out the rest of your lineup. Uh, and Christian Trahan, uh, I usually don't like uh, handing out tight ends as as legit options, but he's been uh, doing well um, for Houston as well. Eight, eight catches and over 100 yards in his last two games, and he's 3,700. So if you need something under 4K to make your lineup work, um, I think you could do a little bit worse than that um, because it, DraftKings is real sharp with their pricing. It, it's generally pretty mm-hmm. tough to find anything under 4K that, that's extremely viable without like some sort of uh, extreme, extreme injury context uh, baked in there. All right. Um, you want to go through any of these spreads that you like for week 12 or we, we can go right into Ralphie talk if you're ready. I think I'm ready for Ralphie talk. Um, I think, well, the, the news is, of, of course, according to uh, Brian Howell, who's the, the boots on the ground there up in Boulder for the uh, Boulder Daily Camera. After 12 years, Ralphie 5 is retiring. Ralphie, a girl, actually, fun fact, um, at least this one is. Wait a second. Uh, she has not run in the last two home games, and she will not run on November 23rd when uh, Colorado wraps, it, wraps up its home uh, slate up, up against Washington. So I uh, hope that Ralphie is in, in good health and good spirits. Uh, it's sad that we've seen the last of her run and i hope that the next ralphie ralphie six um can fill those hooves because i mean uh those are some pretty big tracks that, that uh, ralphie five's leaving behind yeah i mean you said it um 
what, so what are they going to do the rest of the season? Is there just not going to be a Ralphie? Like they didn't have a backup Ralphie. There's not. I, I hope they have like two guys that like fill like a, a buffalo, buffalo suit. suit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I could get down with that and like still have them try to run as fast as Ralphie does. Yeah, I mean, even like just drive a car. Like something has to go across the field. People are conditioned to expect a large uh, object, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Typically, a fully uh, you know fully grown buffalo, but. Yeah, just drive like a pickup truck. I mean, it could just be like a, a large dog even. just It's just going to be weird. Like they can't just not have something. I agree with you, man. And, yeah. and you know, as much as we, we want to have the pay our respects to Ralphie, we also mm-hmm. need large mammals running across a field to get truly yeah. ready for a football game. One of the major benefits to not having a live mascot, to having a Bucky Badger, for example, never have to worry about him dying. Never right. once has that crossed my mind and been like, wait, how old is Bucky? He's ageless. He's never changed. I mean, you've kind of gone through that with some Uggas, I'm I sure. I know. There have been like low-key like a lot of Uggas since I since yeah, I well, started out at, at it's Georgia. It's a stressful job. I mean, it's not one of those jobs that, you know, you got to be out there every single week. Yeah. And, you know, all the pampering in the world doesn't uh, undo years and years of insane inbreeding mm-hmm. if you happen to just be an English bulldog. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's tough. I mean, live mascots are... You're not, you're not going to find that in the NFL, say that. You're not going to find that in the NBA, that's for certain. Um, kind of a specific to, to college football thing and one of the things that makes it so great. All right, we'll wrap this up. Looking forward to Week 12. Uh, not so much looking forward to what's probably going to be uh, a bit of a slugfest for Wisconsin, uh, I feel like, I on the Wisconsin's road. I think Wisconsin's going to trounce them. I don't believe in anything anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm now fully expecting Wisconsin to lose every game 50 to nothing, and when that doesn't happen – then it feels like a positive, you know, set your expectations as low as possible and bury them into the ground. Oh, fair enough. I, I love that level of, of just uh, sheer nihilism that it comes from, from only true college football fans. Yeah. One last little parting shot. Um, if I were to like a live underdog, like a crazy one for this week, or at least covering the spread UCLA going up against Utah. Utah obviously has a lot of things in it in its sights here and it has the best uh, run defense in the country. So, one of the best like in-game matchups this week is UCLA's run game, which has been pretty dominant of late, especially with Josh Kelly back there. Um, going up against this Utah defense, it's allowing like less than 3 yards per carry. So, what happens if Utah starts to, you know, move the ball or I'm sorry, if UCLA starts to move the ball on Utah, maybe things get a little bit haywire um, in Salt Lake City. So, that that's one like super dog that that i'm looking out for um for this week all right well ended on that note speaking of dogs best of luck to the georgia bulldogs this week i'll, I'll be thinking of you all day saturday i appreciate that i don't care for auburn Auburn sucks. I like trucks. He likes trucks. I don't, uh, I don't care for Auburn. He doesn't care for Auburn. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.